Welcome to a special edition of Inside Medicare's New Payment System on ReachMD. This special program titled, Changes to Reporting, Evaluation, and Management Office Visits, How to Prepare for 2021, is brought to you by the American Medical Association. Here's Dr. Barbara Levy and Peter Holman. 170 organizations came together and wrote a comment letter signed on to CMS outlining the problems with this proposed rule. It is true, physicians were extremely upset with the note bloat and the problems related to the electronic medical record that we all understand was built in order to help us with all the little bulleted items for the 95 and 97 guidelines. We all said that CMS should finalize some of their proposals that streamline care, um, only requiring documentation at an interval history and physical level so that we don't have reams and reams of, of notes that cut and paste and re reproduce the same thing over and over again. Removing the need to justify home visits, all of those things were very, very positive. But we were very strong, the entire House of Medicine, in saying that CMS should not implement a collapsed payment and these add-on codes, and that they should not reduce payment for office visits on the same day of other services, that that would disenfranchise efficient care for our patients, for their beneficiaries, and that they should set aside this proposal and give us a chance to work on it. And that was what we lobbied for. So in response to that proposed rule, AMA, CPT, and ROC chairs decided to pull together a work group to see what we could do to respond to CMS's challenge, really, and to say, could we simplify the structure of the evaluation and management services in a way that created the appropriate documentation for patient care without burdening physicians in the checkboxes and all of those things. And um, Dr. Brin, who was chair of CPT at that time, and Dr. Peter Smith formed this work group with a lot of attention to the membership of the work group to be sure that we had representation from people who were really knowledgeable both about payment policy and about coding structure that we had good representation from surgical and procedural specialty societies, intensivists, as well as strong representation on the primary care side. And these are the members um, of the group. Again, the idea was to capitalize on the CMS proposal and make it better, to take that challenge and to do something really positive with it, and to act really quickly so that we were able to respond to CMS in a timely fashion. So what CMS, as we went and lobbied, said was, well, okay, but we want a proposal by basically the summer, so we have time to put it together through this uh, CPT and RUC process so that they would have it ready for the proposed rule and the final rule for this year, for 2019. Those of you who know the CPT and RUC process may know that it's fairly deliberative. And um, it takes a while to get consensus across the House of Medicine. So um, we met frequently, and we spent a lot of time pulling this together. We had a lot of open meetings, and we worked hard as really collaboratively in the House of Medicine. I can't say how proud I am of my co-chair and of the AMA staff who did an enormous amount of work to pull this all together. 
So the work group held seven open calls, two hours each, and one face-to-face -face meeting between about August and November. We had on average about 300 participants on every call, uh, representing medical specialty societies, commercial payers, CMS, policy staff. We had five surveys in between the calls as we developed questions and there was discussion about issues. We, staff, uh, developed surveys that were distributed to all of the specialty societies to try to get input, as much input as we could possibly get from everyone. And those, the results of those surveys that informed the agenda for the next call, and then that was an iterative process to get us to where we are right now. So our definitions of time and medical decision making came about through that consensus process and through that iterative process. Good. Thanks a lot. I do want to say right up front that it was impressive that there were specialties that were estimated to do better by the CMS proposal, and they still were supportive of improving all this. So it really was a fabulous uh, uh, getting together in the House of Medicine, which is what we all strive for in this House of Delegates so often. So one of the things that we did that we kind of we stumbled onto a lot of things, to be quite candid, and thank goodness we did because I think they really helped us uh, along the way and people guided us uh, by all their input, was that we decided that there should be some guiding principles uh, right from the beginning, uh, and those helped us a lot. So the first guiding principle was really an overarching one, is that we were trying to simplify the work of clinicians so that they could spend more time improving the health of their patients. So that was the overriding principle. But we also wanted to make it clear that we were trying to decrease the administration, administrative burden of documentation and coding, we wanted to decrease the need for audits, because we felt that inevitably there would be some, and we spent a lot of time talking about that. We wanted to decrease unnecessary documentation in the medical record and only retain that documentation that is necessary for patient care. And we wanted to ensure that payment for evaluation and management services is resource-based, which as Dr. Levy mentioned was not what we saw in the flat pricing, and there was no direct goal for payment re redistribution between specialties, which was one of the outcomes of the flat pricing scheme. So what did those principles mean in some of the things that we eventually developed uh, during our work? Well, as far as decreasing administrative burden, we first of all followed CMS's lead and removed the scoring, the documentation guidelines of 95-97 related to history and examination. We wanted people to code the way clinicians think, whether they're physicians or other qualified healthcare professionals that report E&M. We wanted to decrease the need for audits. And one of the ways to do this was to put more detail in the codes themselves to promote payer consistency if audits were going to be performed, and also to improve coding consistency amongst ourselves. What we noticed, and I'll mention this a little bit later uh, as well, is that some things were fairly standard, right? There's the 95, 97 documentation guidelines. Those are across all CMS, and a lot of the private payers, non-Medicare payers incorporated them as well. But there were lots of things that were payer-specific, especially when it came to the medical decision-making. And so those were areas that we wanted to try to create consistency in. We wanted to decrease unnecessary documentation, and we felt that the history and physical examination bullets were one of the largest reasons for unnecessary documentation. We wanted to ensure that payment was, uh, for these services was resource-based and that there was no goal for redistribution. Uh, that meant 
that we were going to use some of the current guidelines and criteria other than those related to history and examination. So as we went through this, people would say, well, this is going to cause coding shifts or that kind of worry. And our point that we made, including at the RUC meeting and in our letters to CMS when we made our RUC recommendations, is that we are using, with the exception of the history and examination, the same criteria that are being used today by CMS in medical decision making. And our time is going to be roughly the same as well, and Dr. Levy is going to go into time as well. So we were not trying to create major coding redistribution. In fact, we were trying to avoid it. So we'll go through some of the summaries, and I'll let Dr. Levy take over. Yeah, so just um, very, very important. This does not take effect in a month and a half. This is January of 2021. And when we go through some of the challenges towards the end, I want that very, very clear. This is not a finished, completed deal yet. This is the coding structure. The RUC recommendations are finalized. They were finalized in the rule. But there's a lot more work left to do. And I think that's very, very important for all of us in the room to know. So number one, it's not till January of 2021. Number two, it's only for the office visit codes. So these changes to ENM are the beginning, not the end, not a completed work in progress. You know, it's a work in progress. It's not completed. So the major revisions for office and other outpatient services, not for hospital services, not for home visits, there were extensive guidelines, additions, revisions, and restructuring. So as you can imagine, if the structure for office visits is different from, it is, from hospital visits and the definitions are different, we had to reorganize what we did with the guidelines. We ended up deciding to delete code 99201 because 99201 and 99202 both require straightforward medical decision making. And if our hierarchy is based on medical decision making, then there was no distinction between those two codes. So the one code that we eliminated was 99201. And then the components for code selection are a medically appropriate history and or examination. What that means is that we, as the healthcare professionals, decide what's important for us to do at a particular encounter and document that. And if it's not important to do, we don't do it. So as a gynecologist, it's typically not important for me to look in someone's ears, and I generally don't do that. So it's eliminating those unnecessary steps that we were driven to do in order to meet requirements for coding. And then code selection can be based on one of two things, either medical decision making or total time, time on the date of the encounter. And we heard loud and clear through the calls that the burden on physicians and qualified healthcare professionals for reviewing records. I mean, the, the good news about an electronic medical record is that everything in theory is there. The bad news is there's an awful lot of it. And that the review of those things and the amount of work required to do that prior to the visit with the patient or after the visit with the patient was as intense and difficult as the face-to-face -face encounter. So there's a very new and different definition of time for the purposes of code selection. 
E&M level of service then for office or other outpatient services can be based on medical decision making. And again, we use the CMS table of risk as our core so that this is intuitive to docs who've been coding forever. Um, most of us intuitively know if somebody is straightforward or if it's complex medical decision making. And we preserved all of that. We put extensive clarification into the guidelines so that it would be very, very clear to all payers and that they would use consistent guidelines because the lack of consistency is one of the things that adds significant burden to us. And then time is the total time spent with the patient on the date of the encounter, including the non-face-to-face -face services that happened before and after, including the time for documentation, which we now know is far longer than it used to be. So we made clear time ranges so that it's not, you don't have to think about, am I halfway between this or that, but we made the increments very, very clear. And then it became obvious that sometimes it costs us even more time and that we needed to create a prolonged services code that was a 15-minute increment, not a 30- or 60-minute increment. And that is reported only when time is used to choose the level of service and only when you extend beyond a level 5, because otherwise you have codes that you can use. So major revisions, here they are. What we will do in the future is just what we need to do for clinically appropriate care. And the amount of documentation that we do will be based on what we need to communicate to our colleagues and what we need for risk management, but not to count bullets, not to count bullets in the history and not to count bullets in the physical examination. The medical decision-making, we think, will be used most of the time for choosing a code level, but there is an alternative, and that's to use time. So the RUCS survey was an incredible one. 51 specialty societies and other healthcare professionals surveyed the revised codes to measure the, the physician time, work, and direct practice costs. So these are the things that the RUC does. So that includes supplies, equipments, clinical staff time. 1,700 people responded to the survey. The specialties analyzed their data and presented it to the RUC in April of this year, and then immediately the recommendations were transmitted to CMS. The first thing you have to do, because there were recommendations for increasing the values, you have to, decide, you have to decide where the RUC rules, is there a compelling reason to increase the values? Have the services changed, essentially, or are the people that are doing the services different, something different about it? The RUC agreed that the services were different. The electric, electronic health record, just the coding structure itself, obviously, would have had different changes with pre and post uh, time and non-face-to-face -face time, etc. So uh, it was agreed that there was compelling evidence to allow potentially values to go up. Now, the RUC process also requires that the surveys support values going up. Just having that possibility does not mean it's going to happen. So that uh, process was gone through where everybody analyzed the results of time and work and, and the relativity of all the services. And the, medic, the recommendations were transmitted to, to CMS, and uh, they uh, uh, published uh, their uh, acceptance of the rule. You can also see the details of the RUC recommendations at the AMA website. So we were very, very pleased that CMS proposed to accept the coding structure 
and the RUC recommended values and indeed finalized those values. So you see the current work RVU, that's for 2019 and 2020, and you see the recommended work RVU for 2021 and what CMS accepted. The last two columns are the same all the way through. So you don't really need to worry about that. And you see that it's not always that things went up. In the lowest level code uh, in 99202, there was no change. And it's, remember, it's really collapsing 99201 and 99202, and we didn't show you 99201 there. Here are the work changes uh, for the established patients. And these are just the work changes, not the total fee. Uh, and you can see, again, that the work uh, did increase. There was recognition that at the higher level, there was definitely more work uh, that needed to be recognized. Uh, it had been existing for a while. We don't know how long, but it had been existing, and so it was appropriately recognized. And again, the prolonged service had its valuation recommended, and here it is. Well, the last thing the RUC recommended, and Dr. Levy's going to address this a little bit more, is the RUC recommended, as they typically have, that any changes to office visit valuations be included in services with global periods that include E&M. So that is the surgical global periods. Surgical is a general term. There's many things that are global. They don't cut open tissue necessarily. And the maternity care codes. CMS did not choose to implement this recommendation uh, in what they proposed for final, what they finalized for 2021. But remember, Last year, they finalized things and said, we'll work with the AMA and others over the coming year. And they actually mentioned several things that they will be working with various people over the coming year uh, as well. And the AMA will continue to advocate for our recommendation. I mean, this is a really, really important point that among the 51 specialties who surveyed these codes, the, the values were so close among all of the specialties and to say, well, these values are applicable to some sets of codes but not other sets of codes really doesn't make sense. So we still have challenges in front of us to make sure that implementation of these new guidelines and codes are done in a way that's resource-based and is appropriate. And um, AMA is prepared to do all of that. We have a challenge with respect to budget neutrality. Um, CMS, the implementation of the increased valuation will impact specialties differently. The impact will be positive, obviously, for specialties that perform predominantly office-based services. But for those that do not perform office visits, they will see a decrease in payment in the Medicare population. The increased valuation for standalone office visits and the prolonged services code represents additional spending of about $5.3 billion. And the increased valuation to the procedures with a surgical global of 10 or 90 days or maternity care codes would be an additional $0.4 billion. So that's a challenge for us. We will address it. It is something that we will um, definitely talk with CMS over time and see if we can't articulate the issues um, in the House of Medicine. This was a special edition of Inside Medicare's New Payment System, titled Changes to Reporting, Evaluation, and Management Office Visits, How to Prepare for 2021, brought to you by the American Medical Association. To access other episodes of this series, visit ReachMD.com AMA, where you can be part of the knowledge.